everyone, welcome into the BT Powerhouse podcast. It is Monday, July 24th, 2017. My name is Thomas Bennett. I'm your host as always. And we have an interesting podcast up here on the docket for tonight. We're going to have Brad on from the Champagne Room. He should be here shortly, excuse me, to discuss one of the more uh, intriguing off-season topics, I would say, which is our uh, BT Powerhouse's look back at some of the best players for the Big Ten over the last 16 seasons. And tonight we're going to be talking about the Illinois Mount Rushmore since 2000. Obviously a relatively strong period of time for the Illini in, in history, but there have certainly been some bumps on the road as well. So I'm I'm excited to chat about that with Brad and kind of get into some of the the nuts and uh, the, the guts here. <laughs> I lost our words here for some reason, but you know some of the the details here on, on some of these players, what they did for their respective teams, and what we should uh, maybe change on our list, and what. Brad has on his list. So to help us break it down, we have Brad from the Champagne Room. Brad, how's it going? Hey, Thomas. How's it going, man? Good, good. Excited to have you back on. It's been a while, but we uh, we, saved, <laughs> we saved the exciting topic um, for you, and that would be the Mount Rushmore of Illini since 2000, which I'm sure will draw some uh, <laughs> fiery opinions. Um, oh, absolutely. But, uh, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, before before we jump into that, you know, for, for those of our listeners who are not as in-depth on the Illini's history over the last 16 seasons, um, and certainly for our Maryland and Rutgers fans, who, uh, and uh, Nebraska fans, I guess, who haven't been around for that whole time, um, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a Reader's Digest version of essentially what has happened over the last 16 seasons, some of the high points, some of the low points um, for the Illini. Sure. So um, 16 is a, a good number. And, uh, of course, today was a Big Ten media day for uh, for football up here in Chicago. So I'll go full uh, football coach here and go Lovey Smith on you. We're going to break this down Perfect. into four quarters over the last uh, 16 seasons. The, the first four years um, was, the, uh, was the Bill Self era. Uh, a lot of fans forget that Bill Self was the head coach of the Fighting Illini, um, actually from the year 2000 until 2003. But he had basically put together um, the program that was, yeah, for all intents and purposes, built by, by Lon Kruger and Lou Henson. Um, Illinois, heading into um, the 2000s, really hadn't, peaked until the 1980s. Um, there were there were a couple of teams in the 40s and 50s that had made NCAA um, tournament appearances and, and things of that nature, but you really didn't start hearing about you know, the U of I until 1979 when, when Eddie Johnson and company knocked off number one ranked Michigan State. Um, and then heading into the uh, the 80s, a lot of people are familiar with the Flying Illini era. Yeah, um, but even the fourth breaking up. Oops, yeah, um, I am still here. Check, check, one, two. Um, <laughs> can you hear me now, I think, is what would be more appropriate. Um, yeah, yeah. Although I'm an, a- I'm an AT&T customer, so I shouldn't say that. They'll probably uh, cut me off now. <laughs> um, but, 
Anyway, so the, the 1980s, um, a lot of people are familiar with the Flying Illini, but we'll actually start a little bit earlier than that, uh, the 1982, uh, 1983, 1984 seasons. Um, a player by the name of Bruce Douglas uh, absolutely put the program on the map. Um, there were a couple of Sweet 16 appearances, actually, in the early 1980s, too. Um, I think uh, the last time any team played at a neutral or a, um, a home site in the NCAA tournament for the Sweet 16, Illinois actually lost to Kentucky in Rupp Arena. Um, but uh, but had had made a lot of tournament appearances, had had surged to to play very well, and then um, you know kind of coming off of the the Eddie Johnson and, and Mark Smith era of the the late seventies, early eighties, um, you know the Illini had had slowly built this program into the the flying Illini. Um, fans will remember Kenny Battle, Kendall Gill, Nick Anderson, Marcus Liberty, Stephen Bardo. Um, Lowell Hamilton as well. I, this this team was was destined for greatness, um, and uh, and due to a uh, let's let's call it a, a very very close loss uh, in the final four to your Michigan Wolverines, um, <laughs> semi decent team there as well. Um, that was really the first real taste of of dominance that this program had ever seen, really. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think that was the furthest the team had ever gone was the final four, um, in, uh, in 1988, 1989 there. So, um, having that in the eighties, you know, we'd kind of built this up into the nineties and there had been some players that had, you know, come and gone. And, um, a couple of guys that, uh, that will slowly transition into later as we get into the, uh, into the Mountain Rushmore conversation, players like, uh, Corey Bradford, Frank Williams, Brian Cook, really put uh, put the Illini on the map. And you, you couple that with Bill Self, who was able to recruit those guys. All of a sudden, Illinois became – or Illinois went from, you know, kind of the first round to second round team in the NCAA tournament, all of a sudden to making Elite Eights and Sweet Sixteens almost every year. Um, under Self's tenure, as a matter of fact, I think he made uh, an Elite Eight and two Sweet Sixteens, I think. There's probably a homer screaming at me right now that's saying I'm wrong, but um, but I knew they were three. They're three very deep tournament runs, and um, you know, coupled with Illini greats that um, or Illini players that turned into Illini greats that people remember. And Frank Williams uh, was one of them. Brian Cook, another one. Um, Corey Bradford, a personal favorite, um, was uh, was D Brown before D Brown was D Brown, which is a uh, a great little segue into the next four years of, of Illinois basketball. Um, the, the 2004 to 2008 tenure uh, of Bruce Weber um, after Bill Self went to, uh, to Kansas, the whole Roy Williams, Bruce Self, wow, Bruce Self, sorry, Bill Self, Roy Williams, Bruce Weber triangle. Um, uh, Williams left Kansas to go to UNC. Self goes to Kansas. Now Bruce Weber comes into Illinois and uh, from Southern and from Southern Illinois and Bruce Weber now had all of Bill Self's recruits and was very successful in his first two seasons. Um, again, arguably the best team in program history, the 2004, 2005 fighting Illini are the one that most fans and now especially most fans generationally remember um, the D Brown, Luther head, Darren Williams, James Augustine, Roger Powell team, that uh, that made it to the national championship game, ultimately to be thwarted by the uh, the officials. Sorry, Charmaine. Um, 
the uh, <laughs> that team that team will forever live in a lion eye history and a lion eye lore um, amongst the fandom, and, and rightfully so. There were a lot of characters on that team that had uh, um, that had a lot behind them. There were some unbelievable basketball games, arguably the greatest college basketball game ever to be played. Um, the uh, the Sweet 16 game in uh, in Rosemont against uh, Arizona, Illinois and Arizona, where the Illini came back from 17 points down in three minutes to tie the game and then ultimately win it in overtime. Um, uh, Bill Murray was in attendance, so it automatically makes it legendary. <laughs> I mean, come on, Bill Murray's there. Um, so, but then after that, the the next couple of years, as as players started to to leave to the NBA, you saw Darren Williams, who now is is still playing in the league. Um, you know, D Brown and James Augustine stayed for their senior years, but as those guys left and we kind of transitioned into what Bruce Weber could bring to the program, the, the Illini went from, you know, elite eight, sweet 16 every year. And then that, that national championship runner up to back to first and second round national championship or, uh, or NCAA tournament teams rather. And that continued to fade uh, into into 2008 when uh, when the Illini missed the tournament for the first time in I think it was eight seasons. Um, Lon Kruger had missed it once during his tenure, and then Lou Henson was you know essentially an NCAA tournament uh, um, you know coach that would get the team to the dance every year. So it was a little bit different. There was some uh, there was some, a lot of animosity, a lot of interesting takes from a lot of people. You know, is Bruce Weber a bad coach or is he just a bad recruiter? And what's the what's the, the deal here? And then we saw a little wave of greatness again with the Illini um, in, in 2008, 2009. Um, they made it to the tournament again. And then in 2009, 2010, um, the Illini were – snubbed from the tournament's a good phrase for it. That was the Dimitri McCamey team that uh, um, had knocked off a, a number five ranked Michigan State team on college game day um, to, uh, to to potentially make that the big win to get us in and, and Illinois didn't get in. They were end up they being the number one seed in the uh, NIT. But then the next year made it to the uh, the second round of the tournament. So it looked like maybe Weber's recruits are going to take full effect during this second quarter but um that transitions us into the uh, end of the third quarter of, of 2008 to 2012 when the program ultimately um you know dropped off out of the tournament again and uh, there was some some interesting comments made by coach weber about the team and their lack of effort and hustle and things of that nature to the press and that wasn't taken very well so he was uh, excused as the head coach and then uh, entered john gross um who at the time was, I think, Illinois' fifth pick as coach. Um, there was, uh, I believe, Shaka Khan was one of our uh, one of our uh, coaches that we were eyeing at the time from uh, from VCU. Who uh, I forget, uh, where's he at now? Uh, Shaka Smart. Sir Shaka Smart, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said uh, Texas. That's right. Um, Thank you. This is why you know. Good, good to have you, Thomas. Thanks for helping. Um, yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, having a couple of coaching prospects that didn't fall through, and, and an athletic director that was dealing with some football coaching issues as well. Um, the the John Gross era kind of sputtered off to a start, um, and then in uh, in then enter the fourth quarter of, of the 2012-2013 season, the Illini actually put together a fairly decent team. 
Um, that's the the DJ Richardson Brandon Paul years, and and that team was was very much capable of of winning more games than they did, uh, which was one of the the biggest um, complaints about Coach uh, John Gross at the time was he couldn't quite win the big game. He could he could always find a way to get really really close in a in a big game and and not be able to to finish the job. And even though Illinois made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament, what followed in in years prior were a couple of NIT appearances, but teams that just didn't look inspired at all. And then um, two seasons ago, the the 2015-2016 season, Illinois for the second time over the 16 year period finished with a um, with a non-NCAA or NIT tournament uh, appearance and their second losing overall season. So um, one more year of that last year from, uh, from, from coach gross means that he's out and, and now we have uh, Brad Underwood. So uh, two pounds on the table for all of you house of cards fans out there. And, you know, we'll see where this uh, we'll see where this tenure takes us, but uh, but it's, it's definitely a sleeping giant of the conference, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, well, for everyone who uh, wasn't familiar, I think we're all up to date now as far as uh, the Illini <laughs> over the last sixteen seasons, and which leads us into our our main discussion here tonight, which is the Mount Rushmore of players since uh, the two thousand two thousand one season. Um, so I, I will start with our list, and I should note okay. that this is uh, Sean on our site compiled this list. Um, our writers are, are sort of choosing with a little bit of review, but this is not, you know, our staff vote or anything like that. So um, his list, yeah, uh, his list, um, and I, I, I should note as well, um, we talked about this on the last podcast, but our players are 100% selected on college contributions. So theoretically, if a guy was a one and done, barely played, but became an NBA superstar, wouldn't matter as far as our list went. So his four are the first one, D Brown, um, obviously the star player of that national championship runner up team. Um, one of the, Probably the greatest players in college basketball history, in, in modern history at least, in my opinion. Um, Brandon mm-hmm. Paul, who you mentioned more recently, uh, 2009 to 2013. Kind of got stuck in some of those transition years, but certainly a quality player. Uh, Malcolm Hill, who will be familiar to all of our fans right now uh, and listeners as he just exited uh, Champaign. Um, and then finally, uh, Deron Williams, who now is the star of the Cleveland Cavaliers, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Except Derek Rose, Trey, for those of you who are on the uh, the Twitter uh, this evening, apparently Derek Rose, per a sports physical, uh, is now going to be a, a Cavalier as well. Yeah, so that's the drama. Uh, that might kick Williams out of there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, well, um, so those are our four. Um, we'll get into okay. it, but... If you had to choose four, Brad, uh, who are you picking and why? So those are those are four really good players. Um, first and foremost, I I would those are very strong contenders, and that's kind of the nice thing about the last 16 years is we have so many names that you could you could put up mm. there. Um, in in no particular order, um, although I would probably consider the George Washington of this group. 
Um, I would put Frank Williams up there uh, from who had played, uh, I believe he, he does dip a little bit into the, the 1990s, I think, but he had finished his tenure in the year 2000. Um, a, one of the more iconic players of the, the Bill Self tenure. Um, it, I'm kind of stuck between him and Brian Cook, but I think Frank Williams was more of the fan-friendly player. Uh, you saw you saw more you saw more Frank Williams jerseys in the crowd as opposed to Brian Cook jerseys. So um, at the time, so I think I'll put I'll put Frank Williams up there to start. Uh, I love the uh, I love the D Brown call, and you and you absolutely nailed it, Thomas. I, I would I would argue he's the most iconic basketball player, definitely in Illinois basketball history. Um, the the you see the, the Sports Illustrated um, cover with him popping the jersey and you know the headband the high socks I mean, every kid growing up in the in the year two thousand or in the two thousands you know pulled their socks all the way up when they were playing at the YMCA just because D Brown did it you know I think that was um, you know that was so iconic and and you still see number eleven um, Illini jerseys everywhere whether at the um, not the assembly hall and now what is it now? It's the state farm center now. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and everywhere else you see number 11 jerseys everywhere. So I definitely put D Brown on that list for sure. Um, I love Malcolm Hill as well. Uh, one of the most unfortunately non iconic tenures during Illinois basketball or for Illinois basketball, but he's the third all-time leading scorer in program history. Uh, one of the best or most talented players that this program has seen. Uh, imagine putting him on any one of those teams, either coached by Bruce Weber or if he had uh, other help around him. Unfortunately, the rest of the team was kind of riddled by injuries when he played. But I, that's almost a blessing for, uh, for fans and, and for the coaching staff alike to watch a player like that be able to take control in games uh, as often as he did. So I would, I would definitely put Malcolm Hill on that list. And as time goes on, I would expect, um, I'd definitely expect Malcolm Hill to be a name that, uh, that shows up a lot in, um, in the state farm center, you know, potentially hanging a Jersey from the rafters at, at some point that could be uh that could be another, um, you know, potential there with Hill. And then the last player, I, in order to try to, to keep the theme of the four quarters, uh, I'm going to put Dimitri McCamey up there as well. Um, the uh, the guard for the Illini, when uh, in the later Bruce Weber years, um, took the took the program to the NCAA tournament once they had missed it in 2007, 2008, kind of brought the team back together and. Uh, really paved the way for the the Brandon Pauls, DJ Richardsons of the world. Um, you know, himself had some had some other teammate issues with Jeremy Richmond getting into some issues as a uh, as a collegiate player and 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 things of that nature. So McCamey being the team leader, um, I believe he's in the top ten in three of the five major categories when it comes to scoring, three point percentages, assists. Um, so McCamey, a really good all around player was the household name from 2008 to 2011. So I would put McCamey up on that, uh, in, in that fourth spot for the, uh, for the Mount Rushmore. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think all well-deserving. I mean, when you're making this kind of list, I think a lot of people forget how difficult it is, uh, especially, oh, especially for a program like Illinois that has literally reached, you know, just short of the heights of college basketball during the last 16 years. Um, mm-hmm. I think for me, because, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the four that I originally 
where Sean's list um, for the Illini. I, to me, Brown is like most obvious pick uh, of them all, at least for oh, me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a no-brainer. I, I, I mean, it should take you like one second. Uh, you know, you mentioned how much of a figure he was. I, I think a lot of people, you know, maybe some of the younger people who listen to us, forget how captivating that Illinois run was um, up to that national championship game. I mean, that team was to me as dynamic and as exciting as that Kentucky team a couple of years ago that made it to the final yeah. four undefeated. I know Illinois obviously didn't quite make it that far with the, the zero in the loss column, but that mm-hmm. team was very, very exciting, well-deserving of where they ended up. And I, I think you have to put Brown on there, if anything, just because he was the best player on that team. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, and really, I, I mean, I have to be honest, you know, looking at this list uh, that, that Sean had made, I, I kind of agree with all four. Uh, I know you, you switched up a couple yourself. I think the one for me that would be a little bit of uh, a tricky one is Malcolm Hill. And I know you mentioned mm-hmm. the, raw, the raw stats are just mind-boggling. For him, I mean, eighteen hundred points, uh, you know, sixteen point six. Yeah, probably one of the most. He's probably the most consistent scorer the Big Ten has seen in quite a while, you know, night in and night out. But the thing that that does concern me is the fact that, as good as he was, he really couldn't get him over that hump into, you know, the tournament. I it really does kind of raise your eyebrows when you think he wasn't in a a tournament game. Um, is that something that would concern you? From a, and, and I guess this is where, and this is a, this is a great topic of conversation. You, you see it with a lot of different teams and fan bases it, from the, the player by himself. I absolutely, I would put him, you know, the, the top four of the, of the last 16 years, certainly in the, in the last decade. But uh, again, you make a great point. He, he never did play in an NCAA tournament and, Unfortunately, I think that while a player of his caliber should be able to, to hoist a team to, to greatness at some point, or at least you know kind of put the team on his shoulders and, and get them into a tournament, um, the, the opportunity for them to do that was, was the 2014-2015 season. And uh, unfortunately, I think there, were, there was enough adversity with the injuries that the Illini had faced. I think of the starting five – Four of the five had sat extended, uh, not, you know, over a week uh, due to injury. Which you know, I think there was a broken finger in there. Somebody had torn an ACL. I Tracy Abrams has had what three broken knees. Yeah, um, it, there was a suspension it, it, too, if I recall correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with that, if you're the only player that's that's keeping that afloat, I mean, I know the. The, the decoration of making the NCAA tournament's not there, but to be a one-man show and still have the team even have a chance of getting in um, speaks a lot about Malcolm's ability as a, as a leader to kind of lead some young players and his ability as a dynamic playmaker, you know, to not only move the ball up and down the floor, but, I mean, gosh, some of the finishes at the rack that he produced are, are fantastic. I, we cut just during the game, and I – some of them, I go back and watch them, and some of them are just ridiculous how he can get that ball to go in, um, you know, how he's able to finish. But um, but, but I can absolutely agree with, with anybody who says, yeah, Hill's a, a great player by himself. But, you know, 
one player a team does not make and and therefore you know maybe his maybe his time on Mount Rushmore you know maybe it's delayed I mean maybe we put him up there in a couple of years when we appreciate him as the player and not for the teams or or something I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not sure but that's a that's a very compelling argument and, and one that's that's very justifiable if again if you look at the 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 tournament resume or the you know the team success that happened during the uh, during his tenure. Yeah, I mean at, le- at least for me, certainly over the last five or six years, he's undeniably the best Illini player. I think mm-hmm. it, I, it's just for me. I'd say to me of the four, and I'm I'm looking again at the BT Powerhouse list. If anybody's curious and wants to go on there, uh, D Brown. Brandon Paul, Malcolm Hill, and Deron Williams. To me, Hill's the weakest one on there. And I know it, it's unfair to hold a, a team accomplishment against an individual player, but it is it is something for me that you do look at mm-hmm. just because, you know, we're not talking I, – I get if someone says, you know, it's unfair to hold a team accomplishment against someone if we're talking about championship. But, you know, the NCAA tournament, it's tough to make, but it isn't that tough to make. Uh, right. Which – so, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that I, I would say. But nonetheless, certainly great player. His numbers are very, very impressive. And I, I wouldn't have any issue with someone who puts him on there. I think that would be my hesitation. I think for me, I would probably put Cook there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's a close, close call, close call, obviously. But, yeah, but uh, Absolutely. And you um, made a great point with Brian Cook as well, because you've got that the that early 2000s team that is so heavily overshadowed by what was to come two and three years after that team had left. Again, Frank Frank Williams at the at the time was one of the most dynamic um, you know guards in the in the country in the the 2000 to 2002 all the way. Um, and then you had Corey Bradford, who I think in program history, I want to say, is the third best all-time three-point shooter. Um, sorry, he's the best all-time three-point shooter. Uh, <laughs> and and completely gets overshadowed because everybody was used to Jim Shepard chanting, D-4-3, you know, from 2003 to 2006. Uh, you know, and then couple Brian Cook in there, who I eventually became a, a, a solid forward in the NBA as well. But again, we're talking college. But just a play; those three players now, even if you put that that team of three, you put them into any other year um, in in basketball program history, especially for the Illini. Move them, you know, after. Heck, let's let's make a pack right now, Thomas. We'll take the Sean Pruitt and Warren Carter years of 2007, 2008, put those in 2000, and then move the Williams, Bradford, and Cook years <laughs> after the 05 team. That way, they get some time in the spotlight. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 amazing how many people overlook those three players. And I definitely think that. And you mentioned Brian Cook. I said Frank Williams because he was one of my favorite players mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, there's some bias there. Um, but Brian Cook <laughs> equally as impressive, and Corey Bradford was just unbelievable shooter. So, I, you put one of those three guys up in the up on Mount Rushmore for, you know, you could replace Malcolm Hill. I would say you could also replace Brandon Paul because Paul had Nana Agu at his disposal as well, one of the, mm-hmm. uh, the program's best blocking centers of uh, of all time as well. So, and not to say that Brandon Paul was a bad player, but he had more of those team intangibles around him, whereas some of these other guys that we're talking about were more iconic at the individual level. Interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that would be my perspective. Um, I did want to ask you one more question as far as the Mount Rushmore goes before we let you go here. But mm-hmm. I, I asked this of our last uh, podcast, which we went over the Rutgers one, which admittedly was a little less talented. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're on their way. They're building. <laughs> Getting there. Uh, if you had to re-choose this Mount Rushmore, but ignoring that college contribution standard and just go on pure talent, so just pure basketball talent, so they could have played one minute in a uniform, would that have changed your list at all? Um, my My four does not include Darren Williams, so I would put Darren in there. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, one of the most iconic shots in program history, and obviously he's one of the more proven <laughs> NBA players. Um, oh, see, now we're back to the Frank Williams-Brian Cook conversation, and Cook, I think, had a longer tenure in the mm-hmm. NBA than, than Frank Williams did. This is where uh, Robert Archibald gets some love from that 0-1-0-2 team um, at the forward position. I think he could sneak in there as well, but no, I don't think you can – I don't think you can put Archibald in. He's not quite the household name that D Brown is or, um, or was or what have you. Um, I guess to answer your question, it does, but I'm still pulling from, I think the same pool of about six or seven potential players. Um, I'm probably with a, a lean more towards Brian cook, if I'm honest over Frank Williams, as much as that pains me to say, <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would shift my list. I'd have to think about it. I I will say I, I feel like a wild card in that discussion might be Myers Leonard a little bit. You know, he seems to be Absolutely. coming around in the NBA. We'll, we'll have to see mm-hmm. what happens here in the, the next season or two. Although Brandon Ball also apparently getting a deal. So the Illini. And Antonio first. Yeah, moving on up in the NBA. Uh, but uh, before we let you go, Brad, uh, what's going on in the Illini world as we uh, – next season uh, from a uh, from a basketball standpoint um again this is the this is the year of, of brad underwood and we've had a couple of key players leave the program uh understandably so um with with coach underwood joining uh joining the the program and, and now being the head coach uh the 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 focus is on offense and and putting the putting the biscuit in the basket um uh, to that's a hockey term but you get the point um the uh no, to to have Underwood on on campus has been very exciting. He's preached a lot about a three guard offense, and with the amount of, of of young talent that the Illini will have and currently do have at the guard position, um, I'm really excited to look at Tejon Lucas. Um, I think he's he's definitely going to be the point guard of the future, and having uh, you know some some guidance from Tracy Abrams the the past season to to learn about the program and, you know, just kind of learn the ropes and, and gets a lot of playing time last season too. I really think that, uh, that Lucas is going to be one of those dynamic players that the Illini are going to base um, a lot of their offense around this season, which is, is really exciting. And, um, and speaking of really exciting, the, the entire recruiting saga that, uh, that I'm sure everybody was sick and tired of, of, of dealing with, trust me, we were too. Um, but the uh, but the addition of, of Mark Smith is is so exciting. 
Um, I, a player like that brings a lot of, of assets to a team that, that right now has a lot of offensive firepower, a lot of speed, um, you know, a, a couple of decent shooters. Um, but, but a player like Smith is, is going to make Illinois that much more competitive, not only in conference play, but in postseason play as well. And what a lot of us fans are going to want to take a look at as we get closer and closer to, um, to tip in October is, uh, is, is how can Coach Underwood utilize the talent that he has available to him? Um, you know, we, we do lose a player and a, and a great shooter um, in Jalen Coleman-Lands, who was going to be the face of the offense, but he will be heading to, uh, to DePaul, um, as well as one of our other guards, um, uh, DJ Williams, I believe, um, or DeMonte Williams, rather, uh, looking to transfer. So I, I think what what Illinois is going to bring from, you know, from a standpoint of you've got T. John Lucas, you've got Kipper Nichols, you will now have, um, you know, Mark Smith. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, your returning redshirt juniors in Leron Black, Michael Finke. I The, the Illini, even though it's not pretty and it doesn't look all that exciting, there's a lot under the surface there. And you add a, add a proper head coach that could potentially manage this thing this team could be sneaky good. Um, and, and a lot of people think that, um, you know, with the talent that the, uh, that the Illini have on campus, they could make a run at a, at an NCAA tournament burst. So it'll be very fun to watch a very exciting offense to watch and uh, a very intriguing program to, to see develop, uh, as, uh, as, as the years go by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly it, it'll be interesting. I mean, as a, as a Michigan guy, obviously, I am still horrified at the offense that Brad Underwood uh, put together at Oklahoma State. And the idea of him bringing that to Illinois is exciting and frightening. So for fans who aren't as familiar with it, it is explosive, very fast, and it's going to be exciting to watch. I'll just say that much. But, uh, but Brad, thank you for joining us. Where can people check out your stuff? Yeah, um, come check us out at uh, thechampagneroom.com. Uh, we, uh, very exciting news. We actually, uh, will be announcing very soon our, uh, our new site manager, um, to, to the public. And, and he's got a lot of experience with, um, with broadcast journalism and he is a, uh, he is a man on campus as well. So, uh, should be getting a lot more in-depth, uh, analysis about not only just the, the basketball program, but Illini athletics in general, you can check us out at the TCR podcast. That's the, uh, the champagne room podcast. We will be posting as uh, football season gets a little bit closer. We'll start doing weekly podcasts. You can check us out there. Uh, uh, Twitter is champagne underscore room. Um, send us all of your, uh, GIF predictions for uh, for the season. If you are an Illini basketball fan, we'll be putting that up on Wednesday like we did with football last week. And uh, obviously, check out uh, BT Powerhouse. I, they, uh, great people. Um, very good content as well. Really appreciate uh, everything that you guys do for uh, for Big Ten basketball, the conference. And uh, we're looking forward to, uh, to hopefully talking some uh, Illini season previews like we did last season here in, uh, in a month or two. Absolutely. Brad, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Thomas. Take care. Thanks. Uh, as a reminder, everyone, that was Brad. He writes over at the uh, Champagne Room. It's another SB Nation site. They cover Illinois. As you mentioned, football, basketball, whatever you want, they, they got you covered as far as that stuff goes. But 
But with that, I want to touch on our second topic for tonight, which is the Big Ten double plays for next season. You know, we, we've talked a lot about scheduling over the last couple of weeks, but this is big news on the scheduling front. As, as I've said numerous times, you know, for those who aren't really too familiar with how the scheduling works, in the Big Ten, each team has 18 conference games with 13 opponents. They get to play some teams twice, some teams only once. So the double plays are the teams who you play twice. Well, the opponents leaked, uh, or at least were reported by John Rothstein of FanRag Sports and CBS over the weekend, excuse me, and there are some interesting takeaways. If you want to look at the full list, we have them up on btpowerhouse.com. I ran through a, a little short statistical analysis of how the schedules project. I'm not going to go through every single matchup because there are, you know, plenty of them to go through, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, when I dove in, what I did was I looked at the five double play opponents and adjusted it by Ken Palm rating last year. So I know that's not a perfect, you know, measure. We all know that teams vary year to year, but it at least sets the table for us. And there were three, three things I want to hit on as far as this goes. And remember, these are, 10 conference games. So there's still eight remaining, the single plays that we don't know how those are going to shake out. But of those eight games, and a couple of them haven't been announced, like Purdue only four have been announced, Maryland only four. But regardless, getting into these games, the toughest schedule currently projected is Northwestern. Uh, Not tremendously surprising. They are currently slated to play Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Penn State, and Wisconsin. That's four NCAA tournament teams. Two of them, Michigan and Wisconsin, made the Big Ten tournament final and the Sweet 16. And obviously Maryland was considered one of the strongest regular season teams in the conference. And, you know, projecting out next year, Michigan is probably going to take a little bit of a step back. Wisconsin probably as well. But Minnesota and Maryland both project to be very, very strong. Penn State projects to be better. So Northwestern's going to have a difficult slate in Big Ten play this year. Maybe that Sets the Wildcats a little bit back. We'll see as Northwestern's currently projected to be a, one of the Big Ten's strongest teams next season. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. On the other side of things, the weakest schedule projected right now is for Ohio State. You know, with new head coach Chris Holtman, it, 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 probably good news for the Buckeyes. The, the team doesn't project to be that strong next year, but You know, they get teams like Indiana, Iowa, Penn State, Rutgers. Those are all winnable games for the Buckeyes. Maybe they can use that to sort of slide into an NIT or something more. You know, again, we'll have to see how things shake out. We still don't know how the games specifically are going to be scheduled, but good news for Ohio State. And then last, the big one, and probably the most meaningful for for fans across the Big Ten is, I thought Michigan State got a pretty manageable double play schedule. The Spartans are going to get Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. Only two of those five teams made the NCAA tournament last year. Only one of them passed the first round. That would be Wisconsin. And of the other three, Illinois and Rutgers didn't even make the NIT. Um, or, you know, excuse me, Illinois did make the NIT. I apologize for that. Rutgers did not make the NIT, but Illinois and Indiana did make the NIT. So, I mean, you're talking about uh, – there are a lot of games right there on the schedule composed against teams that 
frankly, didn't do all that much last year. So that that is big news for the Spartans, who are projected to be the strongest team in the conference heading into next season. So the idea that you're going to get that many games against teams that are relatively weak, good news. It, it is, you know, you never want to go on the road to Illinois, uh, Indiana, Wisconsin. Those are very tough road environments. But overall, I, I think the Spartans managed this, this like, as you know, they obviously have no control over it, but they got pretty fortunate. It's projected to be very, very good. You know, we're talking top five national championship contender good. And anytime you're facing those low seeds, it is scary because one loss to a Rutgers, um, you know, Illinois, you know, Brad earlier on the podcast talked positively about them, but you know, if they, if they don't progress that much next year, you lose to them at home, theoretically, that could really, that could take you off the one seed line. And, you know, as we saw a couple of years ago with the Spartans, when, you know, they had Valentine, they had Deontay Davis, they were projected to go to the final four. Missing out on that one seed really cost them. You know, they got lost in the first round, one of the biggest upsets in NCAA tournament history. I don't want to keep bringing that up, but, you know, something to watch on the other side. Overall, I, I think they benefited well and Certainly, this is good news if, if you're hoping for a Big Ten tournament title for the Spartans this year. But with that, I'm going to call it a night on the podcast. As always, my name is Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. You can follow BT Powerhouse on Twitter at BT Powerhouse. I also strongly recommend everyone check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Just search BT Powerhouse. We'll pop up right away. Um, thank you to everyone for checking us out. We really appreciate all of you. We have plenty more coverage coming on the new schedule, on the recruiting front, a lot of stuff this week on the, on the conference, and we appreciate everyone checking us out. Hopefully we'll be back with another Mount Rushmore here shortly. And to everyone, have a great night.